0: You're about to watch a great interview on TYT Interviews. If you wanna watch them live, members are the only ones who get to do that. TYTnetwork.com slash join. Become a member. Enjoy the interviews as they happen. to Reporting In, I'm your host Malcolm Flesher, this is the TYT Members Only Show where we talk to journalists in the field, talk to them about the stories they're covering, and maybe a little bit about the stories behind the stories they're covering, if that makes any sense. Today on the show, I'm talking to Carrie ann Mendoza, who is the Editor-in-Chief of The Canary, which is a British online publication. And I'm excited to talk to her because she's gonna give us her perspective and a perspective of the British journalist on the Windrush scandal, which you may have heard about, but maybe maybe don't know a whole lot about. Uh, So first of all, I'd like to thank Carrie ann for coming on the show. Uh, Carrie, you're up at, uh, it's like midnight where you are, I appreciate your staying up to do this with me.
1: Thank you very much, it's really a pleasure to be on. I, I love the show and watch it regularly, so thanks for having me.
0: Terrific, and you're coming to us from Bristol. Where is Bristol in England specifically?
1: So Bristol is southwest of London by about 100 or so miles. So we're on the coast on the, the southwest of England.
0: All right, lovely, lovely. And do you find it's an advantage being out of, I mean, I, I'm supposed to, I'm already going off track here. But do you find it's an advantage not being in London, being away from the center of power to be able to get a broader perspective on what's going on in the country?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was a decision we took deliberately. We actually operate an online virtual newsroom. So our whole editorial process is managed in a newsroom that we can access online. So Our journalists, rather than being in a sort of big office based in London, are writing in their communities all across the country and and around the world because we've got an international section too.
0: Right, And so the fact that that short... probably saves you some money is, it has nothing to do with it, I'm sure. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, does, it does help, it means we can actually pay the writers rather than paying you know, private landlords massive rent, which is always a help.
0: Right, well, I wanna, I wanna find out about the, the business model for the Canary. But firstly, why don't you give us a little bit of background on you? I know that you've actually been on The Young Turks before. You did an interview with Jenk a couple of years ago, back when you were in Gaza, I think for the most, well, the most, a previous Gaza crisis, not as to be with indeed, the current I yeah, was
1: I was over reporting um, for a few weeks during Operation Protective Edge, and Jenk was kind enough to have me on. Just literally, the I think it was the day or two um, after I got home, so I was able to to give a fairly fresh account of what had been happening there.
0: Right, I remember when you're, you're, you said you're emailing, you, you apologize for your emails being uh, infrequent or not as responsive as you might be because you, were, you had uh, bombing, there was intermittent bombing. and that, uh, It was
1: insane, in it term, was insane. I'm
0: sure, but in terms of a, an excuse for not returning emails promptly, that's really right up there, one of the best. Um, it's one
1: of my better ones.
0: Okay, so what is your background? How did you uh, come to choose to you know, journalism as a profession and why would you think this is a good idea? Not because you wanted to make any money or any friends, obviously, that can't be it.
1: Absolutely. I think like most, I think, modern kind of journalists, we've almost got more in common with old-fashioned kind of hacks in that we kind of come in on issues. And my issue primarily began with Israel and Palestine. I've made my first trip there in 2002. So it's been a, a long-term commitment for me. And by 2014, I was I set up a blog. I was covering kind of politics, economics, current affairs. and And then... Uh, Gaza exploded almost literally in, in 2014. So I crowdfunded with my blog readers, the Scriptonite Daily blog at that point had about a quarter of a million readers a month. So not massive, but pretty big for an indie blog. And they crowdfunded for me to go and be their personal journalist on the ground. And I was able to report back every evening. I did a live stream. And writing daily dispatches, and actually created a film that I then took touring around the country when I came home. So it was really um, useful. I think that was where I really committed to journalism in earnest at that point, is actually getting yourself on the front line and reporting originally rather than just kind of churning out other versions of things that are being written about in the mainstream media.
0: Right, and so and that did that lead you to the Canary and founding the Canary? I assume it's called the Canary because of the. The the canary in the coal mine being the uh, the harbinger, the uh, the bellwether of news that is well, not good news, but
1: uh. it certainly is. In fact, it was inspired by your fabulous um, Jesse Jackson, who came to speak at Occupy in two thousand and eleven when I was there, and he said at the time, you know, you occupiers are the canary in the coal mine, and we should be listening to you about the dangers of our economic system rather than kind of shutting you out. And it just resonated me with me that idea that. That, to me, is the basic role of the media, is to warn of the dangers, is to look at trends, look at things that are happening, alert people to issues that they care about and they want to get involved in, and empower them to get involved proactively in those issues so that, you know, we can change the world for the better, call me, call me an idealist. <laughs> so the idea of The Canary was bringing together, you know, people I knew who were brilliant editors, people I knew who were brilliant individual writers, and we were all working disparately it was what if we actually brought ourselves together and tried something new on the left. Um, in the UK, I think it, it there was already a healthy new media ecosystem happening in the United States and in Scotland here in Britain. But England was still kind of patchy. And a lot of the independent media, particularly on the left, is very academic. And that's fantastic. It absolutely has a role to play in you know, discussing ideas, generating ideas and policies that can come out of the left wing. But what it's really bad at is actually engaging the kinds of people that we need to engage to actually create a kind of critical mass of progressive opinion. And you only really do that by going out there, writing in an accessible way so that people don't feel like the stuff that you're writing is, you know, exclusive is somehow above them or beyond the their capability to understand. And so that's our whole style is almost as if it were a left-wing tabloid. So we like to call it kind of, you know, we get kind of pilloried from the from the center, kind of our, our equivalent of the establishment Democrats. We have those. Right. Um, they're, they're called centrists here. So they're Labour Party people, but who are very Um, Pro neoliberalism and
0: the Tony Tony Blair wing of the Labour Party,
1: exactly. And kind of, we we pretty much predicted that they would go nuts um, (laughs) once they realised that we were going, and they duly did. And they kind of like to call us the left-wing Daily Mail, which is a far far right, I would call it far right tabloid in the UK, but it's also the most read um, website in the UK. That's not the BBC. And. It's kind of a backhanded compliment, really, because what we wanted to do was generate the reach of the Daily Mail, you know, to be communicating progressive ideas at the frequency and the reach of the likes of the Daily Mail and the Sun on the right. And we've, you know, we've been fairly successful in doing that. You know, when we came round to the general election last year, you know, we were reaching about 15 million people in the run up to that general election, which was just a few weeks which is a massive, you know, influence to have at a very, very critical time, and you know we've we've continued since to the chagrin of uh, our centrist politicians and journalists.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's a uh, an issue that confronts anybody who's trying to get your message out. With the, the so much noise, and yeah. uh, th- even in the United States, the traditional left wing media has, you know, it's sort of hidebound and. Uh, it, it definitely has a foot in an earlier generation, and new media like the young turks for example is is brasher and it 's a little more in your face and a little more provocative and I think that's you know there there are some who clutch their pearls about that, but what they're, they they can 't argue against is the success and that you knew in the new media you need to have a different approach to reaching an audience, and you can be that's- pure and we 're going to um <laughs> you know, you can't if you focus on all the things that made you successful potentially in the past. That's not necessarily going to work in today's media. So I encourage people to check out the Canary and see what they think. And as a, a means not only of, of getting in touch with what's going on from a left perspective on uh, news in the UK, but also you're you're covering international stories as well as you point out. Uh, so well, the
1: good news is we're actually going to be launching in the US within the next eighteen months. So your readers will, um, your viewers will have the chance to actually read US news written by US journalists in the United States in the not
0: distant future. Oh, so we're going to be competing with you to hire journalists now, are we? Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's on, Canary.
1: <laughs> we can be friends.
0: <laughs> Although you know, hey, you know, I'm open to offers. I, you know, this is, the, this is, I'm, I'm not here. You know, I don't even have a contract. So, but okay. <laughs> one of the reasons I, or the reasons I wanted to talk to you, and one of the things I wanted to do with this show in general, when we talk to journalists who don't aren't within the TYT fold, is specifically talk to international journalists about some of the stories that are important in, you know, in their necks of the woods and why they're important. And because in the United States, we, and the Young Turks is guilty of this as well, that the coverage of international stories is piss poor. And yeah. you know, it's not like we've never covered Brexit, and we, you know, you cover Russia. And that sort of stuff, and Israel to a degree. But international stories are not our strong suit. And, so, and part of the problem is that with the American public is that we are hopelessly, woefully ignorant about what goes on in the rest of the world. And I've been following the so-called Windrush scandal to a degree to the best of my ability considering my other responsibilities. And I wanted to share with our audience what it is, why it's important, and what it says about the current situation in the UK regarding immigration because it's, it's coming to a head now and it informs obviously it's, it's been a huge driving force with Brexit. And I'd, I'd like to you know sort of hear from you the, the attitudes about the immigrants in the UK or in England, Great Britain specifically, compared to here in the United States. And I think there are similarities and there are, there are certain differences. So yeah. can you give us just a primer quickly on the background on the Windrush scandal, what it is and why it matters?
1: Absolutely. So the reason it's called the Windrush Scandal is because we have a Windrush generation of immigrants in the UK. So those are people that were living in former countries of the Commonwealth, which is the really cute name for empire, Right. is a country colonised, taken over by Britain. And after World War Two, because, you know, obviously we had a lot of death, a lot of destruction, we needed to rebuild the country, and we had a load of job shortages that we were critical, you know, from driving buses through to working in our health service, which was just setting up at that point the National Health Service. And this invitation, this call went out to the Commonwealth countries to say, come to the motherland, help the motherland rebuild. And incidentally, I'm a product of that call. So I'm the granddaughter of a Windrush generation immigrant. My grandfather came to Britain from the Caribbean, and the, the reason they're called Windrush is because of the ship they came over on, um, called the Empire Windrush.
0: I believe it's the like uh, just last month was the 70th anniversary of the Windrush's uh, arrival in in England, right?
1: It was, and we like. How you'll hear it now is the Windrush generation are honored and respected and they're the good kind of immigrant and, and all of that stuff. And, and all of that's wonderful. And, you know, I'm proud of what my granddad did and, and the rest of the Windrush generation, but that wasn't how they were welcomed at the time. You know, my granddad, when he came to Bristol, the Bristol bus drivers went on strike to prevent black people getting jobs on the buses. Mm-hmm. So, and he was also threatened with their home, was threatened with a firebomb attack because my granddad married a white woman. So it was not pleasant at the time, but over time, this came to be a very respected community.
0: Is this acknowledged now that that at the time? Because, I mean, I'm sure the impression is that we the call went out, we need your help, rebuild Britain, come help us. And they came to our shores, they were welcomed, and we gave them jobs, and so on and so forth. But you're saying that's that's not that's not the reality, is that is that the perception or does everybody acknowledge that it was horrible for them uh, at the time as well?
1: Yeah, there's some really fantastic literature on it. There's a great book called Small Island, which was recently made into a, a movie, which was very successful. And that was, that was really about what that Windrush generation faced when they came here. They were kind of really excited. These were, um, you know, People who were excited to be a part of <laughs> the motherland had arrived and, and many of them got treated fairly poorly um, by their communities, but by no means all. And as I say, over time, as it happens in Britain, basically each decade we pick the worst immigrants and they're always the newest. So now we love the Windrush generation because... They're settled. Yeah, but we hate Muslims right. and we hate the Polish. So it's it's very, it's very contemporary the issue of immigration in the UK. It's kind of if you've been here ten years, we'll get over it now. So what happened in nineteen seventy-one was there was an immigration act and a decree that said this whole Windrush generation, so everyone that arrived from sort of 48, 45 to forty-eight, right through to seventy-one, had indefinite leave to remain, which means You're a citizen that's it done deal you're not going to get kicked out fantastic and many of these people brought their children with them so the children didn't have documentation they just came over on their parents passport you know many of them were babes in arms and toddlers time goes by we get the wonderful coalition government in 2010 this is the conservative and, and liberal democrats and um theresa may who is currently our prime minister was made home secretary, now our home secretary is a massive brief. It's everything from the police service and national security through to border control and immigration and many, many other things. And she said in a landmark, fairly racist speech, that she was committed to creating a hostile environment for immigrants to Britain. And she meant it and she was true to her word we had vans going around London. They're called now the racist go-home vans that literally said, if you're here illegally, go home, you know, if you, you know and getting, trying to get neighbours to dob in illegal immigrants. And then it moved a step further. And in about 2012 to 2015, they started pushing through various immigration acts, which meant that now um, doctors, renters, you know, and landlords – um, and all sorts. basically any way you were going to interact if you tried to service access the nhs or the welfare state then they would now be acting as the immigration officials they would need to see documentation to prove your citizenship if you're going to get access to, to any of these things which you didn't have hitherto now at the time the left of the labor party absolutely opposed these acts. They saw the dangers. They said, look, this is really bad. This is going to have some negative impacts. People are going to be denied healthcare potentially. People are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their homes. This is a really, really bad idea. But the centre of the Labour Party at the time, which was the vast majority, and the leader, Ed Miliband, were trying to convince the electorate that they were really tough on immigration. They were going to be as tough on immigration as the Conservative Party are. And so they backed the bill they actually backed it, voted for it, or abstained. It's so just a shocking moment for, for a supposedly left-wing progressive party. And then cases started reaching MPs, saying that Windrush generation, so these are not only Windrush generation immigrants, but their children, people who've lived here since they were babes, you know, little babies- And who, did
0: not, who often did not have any documentation as you pointed out.
1: Well, quite, um, We're being threatened with deportation. Not only did they... So the Home Office says to them, you have to prove your immigration status. They say, we can't prove our immigration status because you never supplied us any paperwork. You just issued a decree. So they say, well, you must have documentation that proved you were on the Windrush. And we then find out that in 2010, so while the coalition government was in power... They destroyed the Windrush Generations registration cards. They took that action. They decided to destroy the only, the single piece of paperwork and documentation that would have proved these people's migration status. Okay, so they're, they're
0: saying, look, you're, you're going to we're going to deport you, or you're going to, we're going to make your life so miserable that you're going to self-deport yeah. if you can't prove documentation that you belong here. Meanwhile. They're destroying the document, that very documentation. Who was behind that move? I mean, who is responsible for that?
1: Um, it would have been Theresa May. She was, she was the Home Secretary at the time. They were, de- they were destroyed. She and the whole. What's even more frustrating about this process, Malcolm, is all the denials at every stage. The first, the denial that it was happening at all. Then it was proven that it was happening. Then the denial that any, any targets had been set on deporting these immigrants. And then we find out actually there were targets. So despite the fact that Theresa May was responsible for all of this, you know, all of this, she throws her new Home Secretary and closest political ally, Amber Rudd, the then Home Secretary, the, you know, this current Home Secretary, throws her under the bus, Amber Rudd resigns.
0: But Amber Rudd was also complicit in this and she was she participated in the lies and the mis, you know misrepresentation oh, about it.
1: There's no denial about Amber Rudd's complicity in, in this while in role as Home Secretary. But all of the decisions taken, effectively, Amber Rudd was doing everything that Theresa May had planned and set up. So not only as Prime Minister, but as the Home Secretary, when she devised this act, she destroyed the cards. She's you know, been responsible for all of this. Then, we, and I mean, to give you some idea of, of the people, I just made some notes earlier on of some characters. We had a woman called Sonia Williams, who literally went to renew her driving license and was told, that's it, you can't have another one because we believe you're an illegal immigrant. She then lost her job and was asked to leave the country. We've got Michael Braithwaite. He's been in the country since he was nine years old. He lost his job. He'd been serving 15 years as a special needs teaching assistant. Sacked because he doesn't have the right to work here because he's now classed as an illegal immigrant. There's a high-profile case of a guy called Stanley Marshall who discovered he had terminal cancer, went to get treatment for it, and then wasn't allowed because they considered him an illegal immigrant and therefore no longer um, able to accept services from the National Health Service. Which is just an absolute disgrace. And then we... Through all of this, they were saying, okay, this is all bad, but we can just stop all this now. Now we know. Now we know it's happening. We're going to cancel it. We're not going to do anything more to these people. But MPs in the areas which, you know, many of these people live are still getting the cases. And we just found out yesterday that actually 991 flights, deportation flights, were conducted between 2015 and 2017. Of Windrush generation immigrants and their children. Right, so that I mean, I mean yeah, that's not
0: the kind of thing you can just say, okay, our bad. Whoops, this is a thousand people who have been deported unfairly and unjustly, and now they are spread around the globe wherever. I mean, I don't even know where. Where do you deport them to? I mean, the, if they're, your the their your grandfather came from Jamaica,
1: parents. yeah, exactly. You, know, if you if your granddad or your, you know, your granddad or your father came from Jamaica, this you off to Jamaica. Never mind, you've never many of these people have never even been to the country. You know, they're right. British. They've lived yeah.
0: here I mean, their entire it's, lives. It, it sounds similar to what, you know, the the dreamers here in the United States, although it even uh, it goes back generations, People have been here for, you know, their family for generations. It's it's shocking. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. I'm I'm sorry, I would love to talk to you about this at length. I have like a million sure. questions that I can't get to. But uh, so <laughs> Uh, but First, I want to find out: is is there a widespread condemnation? Is this universally looked upon as a stain on the government and what the government has done, or are there some factions, you know, the the right, you know, uh, who think, you know, no, they're they're getting what they deserve. They shouldn't be here in the first place. We're happy to be rid of them.
1: To be honest, it kicked off so badly because of the, because it targeting specifically the Windrush generation, which are now held in fairly high esteem. In the country, there was pretty much universal condemnation about this, apart from on you know the very fringes of of the far right. And to be honest, even people like Nigel Farage, you know, were going, "This is awful, um, what's happening?" But interestingly, it's like so much with with what happens right now. There's outrage about the end result, the fact that people were deported, that they lost their jobs, that they lost access to healthcare, that people were literally in immigration detention centres, you know, they were jailed. There's outrage about that. But there's also then this sort of, and this is coming not just from the centre-right, but also from the centre-left, you know, the centrists in the Labour Party, who supported the bill, say, well, there's nothing technically wrong with the Act. You know, there's nothing technically wrong with the legislation or with The idea that we should be kicking people out of the country—we just, you know, we want to get the right ones. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody. We got got some, some
0: of the good ones got swept up with all the bad ones. Exactly, Uh.
1: and so you know, the likelihood of the act itself being repealed is minimal at this stage, not without a Corbyn-led Labour government.
0: Uh
1: And most of the journalists are focusing again on single issue stories rather than actually panning back and saying. Maybe this is symptomatic of a wider issue.
0: Right, maybe may- we, should, we should think about encompass the, uh, our perspective on this to all immigrants, even if they're the, the hated Poles or uh, m- Muslims and not just the beloved Jamaicans and West Indians and yeah. Um, okay, well, we, we're, we're almost out of time, but just quickly, do you think there's gonna be any long-term uh, damage to Theresa May's political career? Is this, is this the kind of thing that could potentially bring her down?
1: But Theresa May is, is a dead woman walking. The only reason that she's still in power as Prime Minister right now is because the Conservative Party know it's a poison chalice. They can't work out what's going on. They don't know why they've lost support. And they don't have an obvious charismatic candidate to come behind her. So I think pretty much the only reason she's still in place is because nobody wants, <laughs> nobody wants the burden right now to take over the Conservative Party at its least you know popular moment. But the knives are starting to sharpen. There's talk about other leadership candidates and there's even rumours starting to emanate from westminster that we might get another snap general election
0: um
1: (laughs) which would just be bizarre it's going to be our you know second election in a year or something so you know we're all kind of waiting to see what's going on while trying really to get as many progressive messages across as possible about you know it's great to be outraged about what's happening but we also need to be putting forward decent ideas for how we can change and enlisting support in that and i think moving I mean, almost stepping back in time, you know, the idea that we would ever nostalgise about our approach to immigration in the past is a joke. Yeah. It's a really sad joke. I know you guys must be feeling like this in the United
0: States. Yeah, yeah we do it moment. too. Uh, why can't you know the good immigrants versus the, the bad ones today who don't want to assimilate like as opposed to the ones in the past who were so eager yeah. to assimilate, except that they actually never, frequently never learned to speak English. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, <laughs> there's plenty to be discussed in that, but we don't have time today, unfortunately. carrie Ann, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, speaking with us. I really appreciate you giving us this insight. I hope you will, uh, maybe you'll come back in the future, become our uh our our UK correspondent and for future episodes, because I I love the insight and the perspective you give us, so uh, so thanks so much for, for talking to me.
1: That's great, Malcolm. You
0: take care. All right, you too. And, uh, and you get some sleep. <laughs> and for those of you at home, thank you so much for watching, reporting in. It's a members-only show. Your support makes this show happen without you. It doesn't happen. I don't get to sit here and talk to you and talk to Carrie and talk about important stories like the Windrush scandal going on. Now you know about it, I know more about it, and I feel better about it myself for being informed. Thank you so much for tuning in. And next next week, I think, uh, well, it's gonna be another great episode, I promise. I won't tell you who. But uh, thanks for watching this one. I appreciate it. Next Time. If you like this interview and you're at the end so apparently you liked it a little bit thank you for watching we really appreciate it you can watch them live as they happen if you're a member only members get that go to tytnetwork.com/join and you get not only interviews live you get the young turks live you get aggressive progressive live old school and all the commercial free come join us right now tytnetwork.com slash join.